0: the Malt Whiskey Trail podcast. This podcast is best enjoyed, responsibly of course, with a dram, the traditional measure of scotch. Our shows can be found at www.maltwhiskeytrail.com where you can also plan your trip to the world's first malt whiskey trail. Now, let's get into the show. Sláinte This week is part two of a two-part special where we join acclaimed whisky writer Charles McLean. In this second part we discuss changes in the whisky industry over the years, Glenn Grant's success within the Italian market, and Charles's role in Ken Loach's classic, The Angel Share. Well, as we established at the start of the, um, our conversation, you've been in this industry for 40 years, if we're going dating back to 1981. Um, but have you seen any big changes over the course of of course you will have but anything that really stands out to you or you go "Wow, that is not how it was when I first started
1: well no that's a it's potentially a very complicated question Mm -hmm. Um, first well I think probably better to think more about the growth and the the, the interest immediately after the Second World War um, Scotch whiskey was highly highly desirable both in America in Europe and in the UK, and the government—it was—it was—they—they—they um, they, they limited the amount of grain which was made available for, for distilling. So it became even more scarce. During the war, the the any mature stocks had been massively depleted um, to pay off mainly mainly going to America to pay off the war debt. And until till the mid nineteen fifties, the um, this continued by law. Um, you know, um, about between a quarter and a third of the production had to go to hard currency markets to 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 help defray the costs of the war. Um, meanwhile, as I was told in Italy, because Italy took off very big time in, in the, the, the Marshall Plan, that, that Italy, France, and indeed Germany mm-hmm. um, um, recovered remarkably quickly, more quickly than the UK. Um, and the, meanwhile, the the, the, the post-war uh, British government started larding on tax, in, increasing the, the duty, um, which priced it really beyond the reach of, of your average person. Um, so these these are, these these European and American markets um, became became very very important. Um, and as, as as I was told initially to say the the um, I said, how do you count for the this was to a r- remarkable guy called Armando Giovanetti, who was the agent for uh, Glen Grant um, single malt, and uh, which took off massively in, in in the Italian market in the sixties and seventies. Um,
0: well, why why did Glen Grant take off so successfully? Well,
1: largely due to the the efforts of of, of Giovanetti, mm-hmm. because to say the the the. The it was it was basically a, a a market for blended Scotch. I mean, only less than one percent of the whiskey made in those days was bottled as single malt whiskey. Mm-hmm. And the um, and so but he and he tried to find an agency for a blend. Funnily enough, he did. He, he managed to get the agency for Famous grouse, Ooh, well. but, on, but only on condition that he didn't sell more than fifty cases a year. <laughs> you know, and the uh, so then he 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 did a bit of reading and realised that, that the 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 uh, how esteemed um, malt whisky was by by writers the few writers who who wrote about it in these days, and so he went to Glen Grant effectively and filled his Volvo with um, cases of whisky, and it took off big time. It took off big time. And the and then very significant was a man called George Urquhart of Gordon and MacPhail in Elgin, um, Gordon and MacPhail. Um, they were independent bottlers. They, they produced, they, they filled the casks from mainly Speyside, but a lot of, a lot. They've been going since um, 1895 or something, yeah. and the um, and he George started to bottle um, a wide range of single malts before the brand owners even got onto it. Um, although it has be said that Glenfiddich started to. William Grant and Sons started to promote Glenn as a single in 1963, mm-hmm. um, but they, they were way ahead of the game in, in, that, sco- in that school. And the uh, but George did an awful lot of work in particularly in in Italy, but also in the Netherlands, for example. Um, and um, you know, people began to the the he, he, he advertised Puro Malto Puro... I can't remember what it was. He had slogans, and he had one of his tricks was that he. Um, he sent minis of, of of Glenn Grant to all the uh, the, um, the ear nose and throat surgeons in in in, in Italy, and saying that this is good for your throat. <laughs> he was trying to take on Grappa actually, well, okay. and it was supposed to be much smoother and so on. And the um, um, and it worked. And with 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 George being so active. The first collectors um, were all Italian. Mm-hmm. And so the buzz, people started to talk about malt whiskey and it gradually grew, grew and grew. Um, um, so that was really, that was how it came about in, 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 the, Itali- in the Italian market. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, it was growing in Northern Europe as well. Um, um, and so malt whiskey was going up. I mean, blended scotch was sort of going, but not so... But the, the big problem by the late eighties was over- overproduction. Yeah. They they they'd, um, they were they were geared to to producing for this, I- imagining that the market would continue to rise, mm-hmm. and it didn't. And so, so there was a, and then there was various events outside of the control, like the end of the Vietnam War, which had stimulated the American economy, uh, like the OPEC, the, the the price of oil, which um, and then change in fashion, yeah. vodka and. Um, White rum became more fashion, and wine. You know, when we joined the EC, the the, the uh, wine was favoured, and the um, so. But it's it's all these combination of factors um, led to the closure of um, around forty malt distilleries in eighty three and eighty five. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but the the that was quite such a difficult period. Now, in the during the seventies. To go back to your original question in the interest of efficiency and in order to, 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 to supply the, the, the perceived demand and indeed the real demand um, um, in the early part of the, in the 60s and, and early 70s the um, new distilleries being built, old distilleries being refurbished and practices although the, the production regime um, didn't change very much but the the, the, all the every element was sort of Slightly changed and modernized, and the uh, and this hadn't been done since the eighteen nineties, mm-hmm. um, because it, there was no need, because the demand pre-war was was pretty steady, you know, um, and but the if you taste whiskey made, even though it was be, bottled at a relatively young age, typically eight years old, it was it was, well, that was a common age of bottling, mm-hmm. and the um, um, against the the. the you know the, the same whiskey made today, for example, they are different yeah. they are different and the the so the whiskies made in the the um seventies and eighties are 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 different although you see that in the eighties for example the uh, there was an awful lot of mature whiskey lying around, so in fact, some of the blends, for example, they would dump in older malt fillings malt constituents um to, uh, to because they had to get rid of them you know. Yeah. So there were changes in flavor but the so that's that's the first thing second thing was the the, the a lot of this the 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 success of well, the renaissance if you like of um, malt whiskey was driven by consumers um and it was i mean the press books- suddenly a number of books started to appear about malt whiskey in particular and the um in response obviously to 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 interest mm-hmm. you know um And this went on into the into the into the nineties. then you've got collectors coming on um and then you've and then more recently you've got investors since i would say since two thousand mm-hmm. and four that, and that that's why you get these eye watering prices for for um old and rare yeah. whiskies you know so these are significant changes um i think in that period I've probably missed all sorts of other things. But I can't <laughs>
0: No, I feel like that was, in a a nutshell, a very concise answer to a very big question. That's kind of it. But I was going to say, well, obviously... Whiskey, I feel, is is growing in popularity, and and partly due to the, due to the marketing and people now using whiskey in cocktails. But you were in a little film called The Angels Share. <laughs> <laughs> I was working with Ken Loach, and did you enjoy the experience? And actually, it it is nice just to see it actually make you know mainstream media that it is getting its recognition. Well, it
1: did terribly well, and God bless them. The, the um, I mean, it won, won, won the jury prize at Cannes that year, mm-hmm. two thousand and ten, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was approached um, as a script advisor and in, initially, and, the, um, um, and I didn't think anything of it. And then the script writer, um, Paul Lafferty, who, who works very closely with Ken Loach on many, many films, and the um, absolutely delightful guy, really charming fellow, uh, also trained as a lawyer in Glasgow,
0: and These are all lawyers the, to start with, but then you move <laughs> into another industry.
1: And the um, and he sought the escape. by I think he was working in South America, and the um, and then had to get out of there because it was too hot for. I think he was he was he, he fell foul of <laughs> the authorities and wherever it was. Um, and the um, delightful guy. And after about twenty minutes into the conversation, he revealed that actually the director would be Ken Loach, and I immediately sat sort of up to attention because I knew that this would this this would be real, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, I helped, I advised them a little bit on on locations and, you know, uh, one thing or another. And then the, um, then the, the, the I knew that they, they were filming in Glasgow, and um, I knew I went with. So the script had now been written. he, he doesn't, Ken Loach doesn't work to a tight script. The actors are not expected to learn their, their words. They're mm-hmm. spec, expected to react to one another and so it's it's very it's it's kind of ad-libbed although the the outline script for that day's shooting will be shown to the 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 actors the night before okay so there's no time to to learn the words but they've got a, a good idea of what's going to happen the next day mm-hmm. and the um, and i knew i was one of the very, very probably probably only the script writer the director the producer and the the um Lighting cameraman would 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 have seen the script, and I was sworn to secrecy. But I knew that there was a scene of a single lot item, a single lot auction in the, in, the, in the film. Obviously, it was a, a cask. One of one of the, one of the few few things that I adjusted was that I suggested it should be a cask of malt mill. They'd they'd had it down as a cask of port Ellen, uh-huh. which would be which was a good chart ch- But I said, hey, raise the bar, m- malt <laughs> mill, and the um. um and then I was asked it was exactly the time of the the Japanese tsunami when the the um, and Gordon and Macphail asked me to try and arrange a uh, an, an the auction of a very expensive bottle of Livet, I think it was mm-hmm. um, which they wanted to to raise money for the for the disaster fund, and at that time, I was also advising bonham 's auctioneers. Um, and so I spoke to the managing director of Bonham, and said, well, "What about this?" And you know, single lot auction, you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was up for it. And the um, so I phoned Rebecca O'Brien, the the, the producer, and said, so "I don't know if it's remotely interesting to, to Ken and or yourself and the, uh, but this is going ahead in Edinburgh. And the um, you know, if you're welcome to come through for the party if you want." And so they did. And the following day pho- she spoke She phoned me up and says, um, "That was really interesting. Thank you very much." And the uh, Ken would like you to have the role of this whiskey expert, Roy McAllister. <laughs> I said, I'm not a bloody actor. She said, well, that's the point. <laughs> you know, Secretly roll, you knew you were auditioning <laughs> you, for you, the you part. You'd rather work with non-actors than, than, than with that. And indeed, of the, the, the four principal, the young kids, the, the, the principal actors in the film, um, three had three had never acted before. Mm, wow. and, the, um, and one had acted, but only in a, in a film by Ken Loach. Um, so they weren't mm-hmm. actors. The one that had acted in the film, he was a bin man in, Gra- <laughs> in Glasgow, or in Motherwell, you know. And the, uh, but anyway, they were great to work with. They really were absolutely great to work with. And the, um, and I'm so glad that the film did so well for them. And the, um, they were yeah no, it was it was a, it was a very good experience. Mm.
0: That's good. That's good to hear because it looks there's so much enthusiasm enthusiasm comes across on screen but it's always well, thank
1: goodness it's a, it's a lovely wee film well really no i good. know
0: but you're, you're always you're like, like oh was it that how fun was it behind the scenes to do all that oh like it was on, great yeah. he's a
1: very calm man <laughs> that's good dr loach he's he's uh, but <laughs> I remember my first the first scene which was it was very hot because i didn't even think about it you know the the uh, but the then we were summoned to, to, to we're, 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 the, 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 this scene was to be shot in what, what used to be the Caledonia Hotel, the, mm-hmm. the, the one on the Waldorf West End, thing? Waldorf, yeah. that's yeah. right, and the um, and it's because there are hundreds of people and there's cables going on, there's technicians and the extras, the whole audience of extras and they're moving them around so it takes hours to set up yeah. and then finally they set up, I'd been summoned, we'd, we'd, we'd been called as they say, seven o'clock in the morning to the St. Cuthbert's graveyard across the way, yeah. where there was a gigantic bus, a huge um, sort of uh, caravan. Any imaginable breakfast you wanted, you could get. But this time I was nervous, and it was a very hot day. And the um, so I'm standing there waiting to the, to, to, to while they're, they're setting, th- getting more and more nervous. And the uh, finally, it's it's, all, it's everything's ready to go. And Ken, he's on camera cam, camera number one, right 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 in front of me. Um, he says, right, Charlie, on you go, like that, you see. And I say, well, what do you want me to say? Well, you're, you're doing a tasting. You know, the, you do this all <laughs> the time. Just you. Yeah, I said, well, that's fine, but am I? is the beginning of the tasting, the middle of the tasting, or the end of the tasting? Am I welcoming people, or what? He said, well, just pretend it's the end of the tasting. Fine. So, ladies and gentlemen, the last whiskey we're going to look at, and so on so on,
0: <laughs> he was probably really impressed by your improv and was like, oh, you'll be in his next film for sure. Cool. Come back often. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest news, offers, and exciting promotions. Csiri and